If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Jude. We're going to finish this study in Jude today. And um, I kind of, I, I'm still praying about it, but uh, we may just turn the page and dive right into the book of Revelation. Um, I don't have any, I don't have any um, inclination to try to preach through the whole book of Revelation on Sunday morning, but I think what's said to the churches in the book of Revelation is very pertinent to where we're living at today. And so what I may do is begin a series in Revelation, and, and especially that portion that deals with the church and where we are today, and then move the study to a Wednesday night um, for the prophetic end times type stuff that everybody's always interested in. But today is the fifth and final sermon in this series from Jude that I've, named, that I've called Contender. And the reason I called it that is because Jude said, I wanted to write to you about our common salvation, but it became more necessary for me to write to you that you, ha- that you need to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. That's rightly better interpreted that was once and for all time delivered to the saints. When you talk about the faith that was once delivered to the saints, that is what the Bible says. It is, it is the authority, the insufficiency, the infallibility, or the, the sufficiency, the infallibility, the, the uh, inerrancy. When it, when it comes to the faith that was once delivered to the saints, it's this. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. And so what Jude said is I want you to earnestly contend for that that has been recorded in the scriptures for you regarding God, regarding you, regarding um, Christ, regarding salvation, regarding the church, regarding what, it, what, what your life is supposed to look like as a part of the body of Christ. So when we talk about contending for the faith that was once delivered to the saints, contending for the truth of God's word, the authority of God's word in our life, that is a fight worth fighting. It is a fight worth fighting. And Jude went to great lengths to tell us who the opponents were. He said they were ungodly traitors that had crept into the church uh, who deny God's authority in their life and abuse God's grace and use it as a license to sin. He told us uh, what their M.O. was. He said that they would speak evil of spiritual authorities, um, pastors in the pulpit, uh, angels, uh, the apostles and their message. Um, He said that they would be self-centered and self-seeking, that they would be driven by sensual desires rather than by spiritual desires, and that they would come into the flock, and Paul warned about this in Acts chapter 20, that they would come into the flock and begin to separate it, begin to divide it by their faults. Teachings. Last week we talked about what the, what the battle plans are for us. Um, he gave us instructions that um, we need to remember the apostles. We, we need to remember who they were and we, we need to remember what they said. In fact, they warned us of these days. He told us that we need to raise up ourselves. We need to, be, we need to sanctify ourselves. We need to mature. We need to grow. We need to do those things um, that strengthen us and that establish us uh, in the faith. And then lastly, we need to fulfill his great commission for us on this earth, and that is that we rescue the perishing. That's what he has instructed us to do. Um, I left off those last two verses because it is, it is an entirely different structure than the rest of the letter. But in Jude chapter 24, and verse, or Jude verse number 24 and 25, Jude closes the letter like this. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, 
be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. So Judah's been a heavy, this whole, this whole book has been a rather heavy message. He went right from, right from a brief introduction um, about who he was writing to um, uh, into a heavy message of um, this is what we're facing and this is how we have to deal with it. It's a call to a fight, literally. It's a warning about the false teaching that has invaded the church. There's a condemnation of wickedness there that's mentioned several times, how that God will not overlook that that's going on in the world around us or even in the church itself. There are, there are some pretty strong exhortations there about what we have to do to protect ourselves and to protect the integrity and testimony of the church. And then there's that counsel and that call um, to do everything that we can to rescue those that are perishing, including snatching them from the fire, hating the garment spotted by the flesh. It's been a heavy message. And I'm be, I hate, when, you know, I, heavy messages are not my favorite messages to preach. I walk out with that same feeling of heaviness that you have sometimes. And I know that we come to church to be encouraged and comforted and, and, and revived, but sometimes we need, to hear the, we need to hear the bad news before we hear the good news. Sometimes we need to feel the weight that drives us to our knees before we feel that uplifting um, spirit of his presence. And so I'm thankful that Jude ended the letter that he did because he ends it with a note of faith. He ends it with a note of hope. He ends it with what, what scholars would call a doxology, which is simply a note of praise, an expression of praise to God. A victory song, if you will. We've sang a lot of songs this morning about victory. And this is literally the closing of this very, very heavy letter. This is our victory song. This is what he has given to us to sing. So who is he singing to? Who, who, is, this, who is this song of praise being credited to? Who gives us the victory? Now, I don't have a fancy outline this morning. I'm just going to take you through these verses, through these phrases, through these words and try to point you to the one that Jude is pointing all of us to. Who is it that he is singing to? Who gives us the victory? He said, to him that is able. Now, he, when, he entered, when, he, when he started the book, he addressed it to us. But as he's finishing the book, he's telling us to look beyond ourselves. And he says, to him who is Able. The Greek word, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but the Greek word is dunami. Same word that we get our, our dunami, which is the same word we get dynamite from. It literally means to him who can. To him who can. To him that has the strength. To him that has the power. To him that has the capability. He said to keep you from falling. To him who is able to keep you from falling. Falling. Now he's told us about ungodly men that are going to creep into the church and they're going to they're going to mock us and they're going to deceive us and they're going to do our very their very best um, to divide us up. Uh, and and he says this at the close of this letter. But unto him that is able to keep you from falling, but the God who is in you, but the God who is with you, but the God who is for you is able to watch you, is able to guard you, is able to protect you, and is able to keep you from falling. Um, if you have a more modern translation of the Bible, or if you have a study Bible, or if you've used the Strong's Concordance, it gets even better than that. Because I, you know, the Bible speaks of, when, when, when the King James uses that term fall, 
we, we look at that in the final sense that we fell all the way down. But if you look, if you've if you got a study Bible, it'll probably say this in the margin. A better translation of that word falling is he will keep you, he is able to keep you from stumbling. He's able, to, he's able to keep you from even being the least bit deceived by these false teachers. He's even able to keep you from stumbling in your faith. Uh, he's able to protect you, to guard you, to keep you from stumbling. Now, I'm not talking about an occasional sin. We're all guilty of that. Although I do believe that the more control um, that we yield, our, the more that we yield our lives um, in control to the Spirit of God, to the Word of God, um, the less the less sinful we will become. We will never be sinless. But I believe that the, the closer that we get to God, um, the closer that God gets to us, um, the more we uh, envelop ourselves in His presence and in His Word, um, the less sin will have a hold on us, the less dominion sin will have over us. Um, but we'll, we'll all stumble occasionally in that regard. We'll all say things that we shouldn't say, do things that we shouldn't do. Um, we'll all think things that we shouldn't think. And, and we may do vice versa. We may know that God is telling us to do something and we refuse it. And the Bible says, to him that knoweth to do good and to doeth it not, to him it is sin. But I'm not, he's not talking about an occasional stumbling uh, into sin. We all fail in that regard. But what I believe he is saying is that he is able to keep us in the faith. That was once delivered to the saints. He is able to keep us. He's able to protect us. He's able to guard us. He's able to, pre he's able to make us steadfast, unmovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. To him who is able to keep us from falling. To keep you from falling. And then he said, and to present you faultless. To present you faultless. To present you means to stand, to place, to set up. To present you faultless before the presence of His glory. Now, there's different ways that word is used in Scripture. It's the same word, but it's used in different ways. And sometimes what it means is, it means, when you, when you talk about His glory, it means His, his judgment, His view. So Jude is writing to us, to the church, and he says, I'm writing to you now. I'm closing this letter. This is your victory song. There's one who is able to keep you from falling, from stumbling. He's able to keep you steadfast, abounding in the faith. And he's also able to present you faultless before his own glory. That in God's view, that in God's judgment, we can stand. The word faultless means without Rebuke without blame. Now, I don't, I don't mind telling you that I'm staggered by that every time I read it. Because I know that I don't view, I don't view myself as being blameless and probably should not view myself as being blameless. I'm sure that you don't view yourself as, I mean, I hear this all the time. I'm not perfect. We all know that we're not perfect, right? We all know that we have those occasional times where we fail and fall short of the glory of God. It's, it's part of that sin nature that we still contend with every day. I don't look at myself as faultless. You don't look at yourself as faultless. But the Bible tells us that, that, that there is one that is able to present us to himself, to bring us before his own glory and that we will stand in his 
presence faultless without rebuke and without blame before him now how does he do that he does that through the Lord Jesus Christ the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 that he hath made him that is Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him so when we stand before God and he sees us as faultless and blameless he sees us because we are we have washed our robes in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ he has taken all of our sin upon himself and robed us with his own righteousness. That's an incredible truth my friends. When God looks at me he sees the work of Christ in me. When God looks at you he sees the work of Christ in you and for you. All of your sins are covered by his blood. And I know this is hard for us to wrap our mind around but when he saved me he knew every sin that I'd ever committed. He knew the sin that I was living in and he knew the sin that I would one day commit and he still loved me enough to save me and he covered my sins in his blood the Bible says that he nailed them to his cross blotting out the ordinances that were written against us and he has declared me righteous he has imputed to me and to you the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ because of our faith in him now are we all going to have to give an account of our lives yeah we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ but that's not a judgment of condemnation that's a judgment of reward for the child of God. That's a judgment of reward. We're going to give an account of what we've done with the life that Christ has given to us. He's not going to condemn us. We stand before him faultless and without blame, without rebuke. Before his glory, his judgment in view of us will be on the merits of Christ, not our own merits. But that's good news. That's that perfect love that casts out fear. That's that purifying that enables us to stand in his presence without fear. Ephesians chapter 5, verse, when, you, when, you, when you go back to it, and we always use this in the context of marriage because that's, that's primarily what it's written for. <clears throat> but, he, but he illustrates marriage and what it ought to look like by the love that Christ has for his church. So when you get to verse 25, he talks about Christ's love for the church. And that because of Christ's love for the church, he gives himself to the church. And as he gives himself to the church, he, the Bible says that he washes it by his word. The more that we, the more that we um, stand under his word, the more that we submit ourselves to his word, the more that he cleanses us practically. Now, you're, positionally, you're already perfect before the Lord. But there's a transformation process that takes place in our life as we stand under the spout where his glory comes out. That's here. He washes us. He builds us up. He grows us into the likeness of Christ. In verse 27 of Ephesians chapter 5, he tells us why that he does that. Which is the same thing that Jude says, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now I'm here to tell you this morning, if, if we're talking about a, 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 that he's presenting it to himself, a glorious church, the church is made up of individual Christians. 
So if he's going to present to himself a glorious church that is without spot or without wrinkle or, and holy and without blemish, then he's not just talking about the whole church corporately. He's talking about every individual member in that church because if there was an individual member in that church um, that could not be presented as having neither spot or wrinkle that was holy and without, if there was one of us that had a blemish standing in the presence of God, it would affect the totality of the church. But it won't. Because every member of the church is a member of the body of Christ. And he has washed us in his own blood and made us white in, in, in his own perfect righteousness. Amen. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before his glory. And I love those next words. With exceeding joy. Now, I read that over and over this week and pondered it over and over. And my first thought when I read it is, yeah, that's going to be a joyful time. If, if I can stand before the throne of a holy God and be considered blameless and without fault, then I'm going to have exceeding joy. And that's true. But I think that that phrase points more to the joy that Jesus has in presenting us to himself that way because we placed our faith in him. And I don't, I don't, I don't have to leave that up to sub, subject, and I don't have to leave that up to speculation, because the Bible says in Hebrews chapter twelve that we ought to keep looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What is the joy that was set before him? The fact that Jesus knew that when he hung between heaven and earth on that cross, that he didn't hang there for his own sins, but he hung there for our sins. And that what he did on the cross that day, and what he declared on the cross that day, was that it is finished. And when he gave up the ghost, when he bowed his head and died, and presented his own blood on the mercy seat of heaven for our sins he knew that he would forever perfect those who place their faith and trust in him and that we would be saved to the uttermost when we come to God by him to him that is able uh, to him that is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy that he has it is his joy to save us it is his joy to keep us it's his joy it's our joy too. But it was his joy to lay his life down for us. And then he concludes with this verse. To the only wise God, our Savior. And I'm going to say it like this. To the only one wise now, there, you might say, preacher, there's a lot of wisdom in the world. None of it compares to his. There's, there's nobody in this world that's all wise except him. There's no one in this world that's omniscient except God. To the only wise, to the only one that has perfect 
wisdom to the only God. There, there is no other God. Men have made gods of, 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 of earthly things. Men have fabricated gods in their own mind. But there's only one true and living God. One of the principles that the, the nation of Israel was taught uh, from, very on, from very early on in their lives is that there was only one God and that His name was Jehovah. There's only one God. There's only, there's only one who is all wise. There's only one God. And there's only one who can save us from our sin. I love the fact that he used the word ours. Our God is all wise. Our God is the only God. Our God is the only Savior. He's ours because we are his. He's writing this to the church. You go back to verse 1. You know who he's writing to. He's writing to them that are sanctified by God, preserved in Jesus Christ, and called. So who's he addressing? The same people. He is our God. He is our Savior. He is able. Hebrews said, to save to the uttermost all that come to God by him. Now then he ascribes, Glory and majesty to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty. Now, I'm, if you see the little word be in that, if, if you, it's in your Bible, it's italicized probably. That means it was not in the original manuscripts, but that it was added to make the verse easier to read. In some cases, I think it does. In some cases, I think it takes away a little bit or maybe leads us in a different direction. <clears throat> we don't give God anything that he doesn't already have. So when, you, when, I, when I read that word be, it, I, it almost sounds like I'm supposed to give him glory and majesty. I'm supposed to give him authority and dominion. And I understand that there's, there is a sense that we, that we need to include that in our worship of him. But you can take that B out of there. And what, what Jude says, because that B was added by the translators, to the only wise God our Savior, glory and majesty. So what Jude says, again, the word glory can mean judgment or view. To the only wise God and our Savior, glory and majesty, judgment and greatness are His. They're His. Jude acknowledges that, Jude declares that, and Jude praises that. Let me tell you something, we ought to acknowledge that, we ought to declare that, we ought to praise that, but He already has it. There is none greater than his greatness. There is no majesty in heaven or in earth that compares to his majesty. There's no judgment in heaven and in earth that compares to his judgment. There's no one on heaven, no one in heaven or no one on earth that is going to judge us above and beyond what he will judge us. Amen. 
You might say a lot of things about me. I might say a lot of things about you. The world may say a lot of things about us. But there's nobody. There is nobody greater than him. There is nobody that possesses more judgment than he. He is the only wise God, our Savior, who has the right to judge us finally, officially, forever. Now, why is that important? Because the devil's accusing us all the time. All the time. His name means accuser of the accuser of the brethren. And I tell you, I hear that voice in my head, and you hear that voice in your head. I'm always being accused. You're always being accused. We're always being accused. The world's accusing us. Other false Christians are accusing us. Um, we, we accuse each other sometimes. All of that is rooted in, in that great accuser of the brethren himself. But listen to me, it don't matter what the devil says about me. If God says something different, God's word about me and about you will stand the test of time and of eternity. He's the advocate. He's standing in the presence of God for us. There's none greater than him. There's none that possesses more ability to judge righteous judgment than he judges the devil might accuse us but the Lord Jesus Christ is going to advocate for us and he is going to acquit us of all the charges that have been made against us because we have trusted in him he's our advocate dominion and power strength and authority Again, we don't give him that. He already has that. He has the strength to rule and to reign over all. Now let me say this. The demonic realm, there is a real spiritual world out there. I know that we don't see it and I know that we don't think about it often, but there is a, there is a spiritual dimension in this world that is both of God and of the enemy. There are, the Bible says it like this. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the darkness of this world, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. There is a demonic realm out there that has power. And, and they exercise some authority. They have strongholds in places, sometimes even in our lives, sometimes um, within the church, sometimes uh, all the time within the world. The Bible said before that we were saved, we walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the same spirit that's still working in the children of disobedience today. There is a spiritual, a wicked spiritual authority present in the world today. The demonic realm has strength and authority, but they are all under the Lord's strength and authority. They don't go outside of his will or they'll be banished forever. Listen, they, they've been given liberty, freedom, for a short time, but they too come under the authority of God. Now, I don't know if I'm saying this where you can understand it, but the Bible never tells us that Satan is equal in authority or equal in power to God. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. Uh, he's not eternal. He was created. Yes, he has some authority. Yes, he has some power. But listen, there's going to come a day that the Bible says that Jesus is coming back, and when he comes back, he's going to slay the wicked with the word of his mouth. Mouth, he's going to lay hold on that old serpent, the devil, and all of those demonic uh, legions of hell. He's going to bind them up and cast them into a bottomless pit. Um, and listen, there's going to come a time when he delivers them up out of that bottomless pit. They're going to stand before him in judgment, just like we'll stand before him in judgment. And Jesus himself will condemn the devil and every demon of hell to eternal torment and torture. The devil ain't in charge of hell. The devil ain't in charge of hell. 
He don't have he don't have dominion and authority over hell. That's God's judgment on him. There'll come a time when he won't walk this earth anymore as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Hallelujah. Because the lion of the tribe of Judah is going to put him in his place. Because there's none like him. He has glory. He has majesty. He has dominion. He has power over all of the enemy. One of my favorite songs that we sing. No power of hell. No scheme of man shall ever pluck me from his hand. Until he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ, I stand. Amen. Listen, the devil won't ever overrule Jesus. He will never overrule Jesus. He has dominion and power both now and ever. That is present and future. That is on earth as it is in heaven. That is, it is unchanging. It is unchangeable. These attributes of glory and majesty, dominion and power belong to him from the eternal past to the beginning of time as we know it to the present that we live in and to the eternal future that we'll one day inherit. It belongs to him. Now and ever. It can't be taken away. The last word of this says, Amen. I'm, let me teach you some Greek this morning, all right? Y'all know what Amen is in Greek? Yeah, but, it's, but it, that's what it means, but I think, I'm going to teach you how to say Amen in Greek, all right? You ready? Say it after me, Amen. amen. <laughs> that's Greek. <laughs> I looked it up, that's what it is. It's one of them Greek words, we don't have to, we don't have to struggle over the pronunciation, we know it. But Ralph said it, what it means is, so be it, so it is. Let it be, it's firm, it's faithful, it's true. Amen. I was looking through the scriptures at some, at some places that said, when, when, when this world is on fire, when Babylon is burning to the ground, just before the marriage supper of the Lamb, when the table is set in heaven um, for the church, the Bible said that they look back at the smoke of the torment of Babylon, the destruction of this earth by the judgment of God, and the four, the four beasts and the 24 elders that are around the throne of God day and night singing His praise. And the Bible said they're going to look at what God has done on earth and they're going to say, Amen! And I'm here to tell you, we're going to say Amen too. 
that God is faithful, that God is just, that God has done what needed to be done, that, that, he, has, that he has majesty, that He has glory, that He has dominion, that He has power that exists both from eternity past to eternity future to the day that we're living in right now. Amen. So be it. Despite the enemy's attempts uh, to pollute the truth, to corrupt the church, uh, to deceive us and to destroy us, um, Jesus is going to have the final word. And when He has the final word, we're going to say amen to that. He's going to save us. He's going to keep us. He's going to present us to himself blameless. And he's going to be overjoyed. He is overjoyed to do so. So we say amen to his glory, to his majesty. We say amen to his dominion, to his power. We say amen that he has that both now and forevermore. That's our victory song. Jude's a heavy book. In fact, I think if you take a look at Jude, this is the one thing I've been made aware of. I've been through this whole study. Lord, we living in this world right now that looks just like Jude. Looks just like the one Jude wrote about. And I, I'm telling you, I feel that heaviness. I feel that weight. I feel that responsibility. I feel like there's a fight that I've got to fight. There's an enemy that I have to contend with. But you say we don't have to do that by ourselves. That he didn't expect us to do this on our own. He, he said, I, listen, this time sing a song of praise. The one that's sending you into battle has promised he'd never leave you or forsake you, that he'd be with you lower even unto the end of the world. And he's able to keep you from stumbling. He's able to present you to himself faultless before the throne of his glory with exceeding joy. To his name belongs glory and majesty. To his name belongs honor, d- 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 belongs dominion and power now and forevermore. Amen. Y'all know what the last word in the Bible is? Amen. Amen. The last word in the Bible is Amen. That's our victory song. Every bit of that revolves around the person, the purpose, and the power of Christ in us and for us. Every bit of that doxology is about Christ. Who He is, what He has done, what He is doing. You can't have victory without Him. Can I say that again? You can't have victory without Him. You can't be saved without Jesus. You ain't never going to be good enough. I don't care how good you are. You don't, I, you don't have to have a testimony. I hope your testimony don't look like my testimony. But I'll tell you something. We is all dead in sins and trespasses. Every one of us just as lost as the other person was. None of your goodness would ever measure up to his glory. You can't get to heaven by yourself. You can't get there on your own merits. You can't get there by any other means other than the way, the truth, and the life who is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only way that we can be saved. He's the only way that we can be sanctified, that we can grow up spiritually. He's the only one that can keep us. He's the only one that can sustain us. He's the only one that can take us into the presence of the Father and present us faultless and blameless before his glory. With exceeding joy. You can't do it without Jesus. I'm going to read this passage. I ain't going to preach it. I'm just going to read it. But we need to go back and read this sometimes. Just to remind ourselves. Romans chapter 8 verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. 
to them who are the called according to his purpose. That's us. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. He, he knew that we were going to receive him as Christ. He knew that we were going to receive Christ as our Savior. He also knew that he was going to conform us into his image. That, that he might be the firstborn. That's Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say into these things if God be for us who can be against us he that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all how shall he not with him also freely give us all things who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect who's going to blame us it is God who has justified us who is he that condemneth it is Christ that died yea rather that is risen again who is even at the right hand of God who also maketh intercession for us who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. That's good stuff. Listen, we don't need to spend any time trying to explain stuff away. We just need to say, Amen, God said it. We're conquerors in Christ. That settles it. In fact, it's better than that. When he said that we are more than conquerors, that's Hooper Nikeo. We don't just conquer, we overconquer. We don't just win, we overwin. We have more than enough. We ain't sliding into heaven by the skin of our teeth. We're marching into heaven under the blood-stained banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't, have, we don't come bashfully before the throne of grace. We come boldly because of who he is, because of what he's done for us. We're more than conquerors. We sang that song, Victory in Jesus, opening up service. And I, I, I ain't got no problem with the song. But there is one thing that bothers me about it. When he says, on some sweet day we'll sing up there, we ain't got to wait. That's the only thing that's ever bothered me about that song. Ever since he saved me, I'm like, I ain't got to wait to sing that. I ain't got to, some sweet, some sweet day I'll sing up there. This sweet day I'll sing down here the song of victory. We can sing that song now. We can live in that song now. We can be more than conquerors now. Because of his love for us. Because of his commitment to us. Because of his devotion to us. Now unto him who is able to keep us from falling 
and present us faultless before his glory with exceeding great joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. And all God's people said, Let me just close it like this. If you'll contend for the truth, you'll claim the victory. Contend for the truth, and you'll claim the victory. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. Listen, we're just going to spend a few minutes in worship. But I want to tell you this morning, the altar is open. The invitation is for you. If you need revival in your life, come and claim it. If you hold an alt against a brother, you need to lay that at the foot of the cross this morning. If you've got cherished sin in your life, if you're holding on to some things that God's told you to turn loose of, then today's the day to turn loose of those things. If you want times of refreshing to come from the presence of the Lord, um, then you need to come and, and ask Him to purge your life, to search you and try you, and if there's anything wicked in you, um, to remove it from you and to lead you in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. We're going to spend a few minutes in worship. If you need to leave, you're free to leave. I'm not trying to hold anybody here against their will this morning. But I want you to spend just a few minutes worshiping him this morning. He's worthy. He has glory. He has majesty. He has dominion. He has authority, power. He's worthy of everything that we can give him this morning. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, hey, I wouldn't walk out of those doors this morning without him because you don't know what lies beyond those doors. The Bible says today's the day of salvation, not tomorrow, not next week, not next year. Today's the day of salvation. If the Holy Spirit of God has convicted your heart of sin this morning and pointed you to Jesus as the answer, that ain't me, that's the Spirit of God. This is your opportunity. You don't come when you want to come. You come when He calls you. Listen, I'm convinced that the church has got a lot of false professors in it. A lot of people that heard it maybe with an emotional ear, but they never had a submission and a surrender um, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't walk out of here with a false sense of assurance. Walk out of here knowing who you are. Knowing whose you are. Let's stand. Lord, I ask you to have your way in this invitation. It ain't about me. It ain't about how eloquent I've been. It ain't, it ain't, I can mess it all up, God. I can get up here and stammer and stutter and chase rabbits and run circles. It ain't got nothing to do with me. It's got everything to do with you. Your Holy Spirit does all the work. You can make a message out of my mess. I just pray this morning that we have heard your word, not just with an ear, but with a believing heart. With a heart that receives it as the truth a heart that's willing to stake our life and our eternity on it 
a heart that's willing to just lay it all down right now at the feet of Jesus and say, take me, cleanse me, use me. Lord, as we worship this morning, I pray you just move in our midst. Somebody here needs to be saved, save them. If somebody's drifted, bring them back. If somebody's discouraged, encourage them. If somebody's anxious, comfort them and give them peace. If somebody's depressed, remind them of who you are and who they are in you. If somebody's weak, let them feel your strength. If somebody's laden by the heavy burden of sin, your word says, Come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Just work, I pray. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing, do you need to come? If you need somebody to pray with you, I'll be glad to. Chris will be glad to. Edward will be glad to. Would you use the altars this morning? Hey! 